1: And good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Ministry of the Week Sunday message. This is Dave Naderhood, and it has a delight, as always, to join you on your Sunday afternoon to shine a spotlight, uh, put some focus on different churches and ministries that are here in the beautiful Bay Area. And this week is no different. As uh, we do this each week, it's an opportunity for us to shine a spotlight on what God is doing in different corners all around the Bay and uh sometimes that's a that can be a little church plant it might be a great big mega church it might be a parachurch organization but this past week if you were able to tune into the ministry of the week uh, you heard we were actually privileged to have Dr. Rick Durst with us and he is an author a professor and a pastor and also the director of Golden Gate Seminary of the Bay Area and he is uh actually with us in studio today as well so we have opportunity to talk a little bit about Golden Gate, which is soon to become Gateway Seminary, and uh, talk about that transition a little bit. So in case you missed any of those interviews, you can find them on our webpage, kfax.com. I really encourage you to download those. If you've been around the Bay Area for any length of time, you've been a Christian for some time, you've probably heard of Golden Gate Seminary. And, And maybe this is news to you, that they are actually moving their main campus down to Southern California. And they're moving the Bay Area campus across the Bay here to Fremont. I'm personally really excited about that because uh, while as much as I loved visiting the Mill Valley campus, it was uh, a, a bit of a drive to get over there. And Fremont is very much uh, right in the heart of um, where all the action is in the Bay Area. So we're excited to have them come over to our neighborhood. It's where our studios are as well. And, uh Dr. Rick Durst, uh, first of all, welcome back to the Ministry of the Week. We're so glad that you could join us for today's segment.
2: Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. And a little,
1: a few minutes from now, we're going to hear a message that you delivered not too long ago to the students in chapel at Golden Gate Seminary. Uh, but before we get to that, could you just summarize, and we don't have to go back through. Folks can listen to those interviews, but... Uh, If you could just kind of capitalize on some of the highlights from this past week that we talked about, especially that move and that transition as well as your own role, uh, uh, start with that, please, if you don't mind. Tell us uh, how long you've been engaged there at the the seminary and uh, and your new title.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm sort of a startup person at Golden Gate, so I've had the opportunity to open – a brand new site in Southern California. When I first came to work from Golden Gate, I had pastored for 12 uh, 12 years here in the Bay Area and then became the vice president of academic affairs and was able to help Golden Gate step up to its challenge of putting theological education as close to those called to do ministry as possible. So we opened a campus in Denver, a campus in uh, Arizona and Phoenix, and also... uh, one in Albuquerque. That one didn't didn't make it. But then I stepped down and became the director of our online program, and so here an opportunity came to start up a brand new site for Golden Gate, fifty two miles away in Fremont. Yeah. And so I stepped up to that.
1: So a startup guy. Now people in the Bay Area know about startups. Uh, it, unlike dot coms, um, you know, a dot edu, uh, they they typically. Mm. There's a lot of difference usually between, the uh, 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 folks in tech startups think about, uh, changes that are happening over the course of, uh, days and weeks and being able to turn on a dime and things like that. Uh, but you've been a startup guy, a startup thinker inside of an institution that's been around for 55 years. And if I remember seminary days and I do seminaries don't change very quickly. So that's got to be its own uh, its own challenge, right? To to say, well, kind of, God wired you with an entrepreneurial skill, and uh, and maybe the institution. Um, how well has that? How well is that gone?
2: It's gone well. I do think that um, some of us, maybe all of us, have a call to be divine troublemakers. <laughs> uh, we have to see what the future is and where how we need to get there, and then build consensus. Yeah, it's remarkable to me how people will rally around. The word of God mm-hmm. and the spiritual opportunities, and to give it time to build consensus. And the faculty have been just fantastic. Not, not to mention the staff, the trustees, the president, um, and giving people time to buy into a vision and then start it moving. Momentum gathers. God blesses and confirms as you you live by faith.
1: Right now, and and uh, a little earlier this week in the interviews, we I, I mentioned it's a little bit like the you know the Israelites leaving Egypt uh although it's hard to describe mill valley like egypt i mean <laughs> it's a beautiful beautiful place and that campus is so gorgeous uh god moved in a in a really powerful way though to to make those opportunities uh come to life and i just i i would love to hear your thoughts on this too that as as uh, as god lined up the put all the ducks in a row, let's say. He didn't just, uh, I mean, you still have to move your feet. You know, it's like the way that um, God made it clear to Moses, okay, I am going to do this. I'm going to make the way, uh, but you need to prepare the people. And that's really been part of your job as well, too, right? Just mustering the troops and saying, okay, this is this is what we need to do to get ready.
2: Well, I really would say our, our president uh, mustered the troops okay. on April 1st. Now, think about it. He made the announcement. We've sold this property on April first. We all looked at each other. Is this a joke? <laughs> and then we realized it was strategic. It was enormous. Yeah. This opportunity, and I stood up in chapel and said, "Mr. President, uh, I just want you to know. I can't speak for everybody without checking with them, but I, we're with you." Wow. You you know you can't follow if somebody doesn't lead.
1: Right. Well, courageous leadership is uh, is a big part of uh, uh, institutions that. That exist and thrive, especially as we talked about, I think on Thursday and Friday, in, a, in an environment that's often hostile. Hostile, certainly here in the Bay Area, in many ways, to the Christian faith, evangelical expressions of the faith. And, um, you know, when we get into the message today that you're about to deliver, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a big part of the backdrop, really, isn't it? Is that you're training up students to say, regardless of where they go serve, uh, in the United States, I mean, there's certain, obviously places like the Bible Belt where where they're going to find uh, more fertile soil for things like church planting. But anybody you're equipping and training to to do ministry here in the Bay Area, they have to expect opposition and how do we train students and how do we ourselves as Christians, as our audience, how do we be prepared in such a way that we we don't just anticipate that, but we actually can thrive in that kind of environment.
2: Well, I think Scripture doesn't pull any punches. It's honest. Yeah, Jesus meets opposition. As mm. soon as he starts his public ministry, this adversary stands up in the synagogue and challenges him. And so we should expect opposition. Mm. It shouldn't disarm us or intimidate us. But we move forward by by faith and answer with loving words, a loving response. We don't lose our ministry when we meet resistance. We find it because we're ambassadors for Christ. What's the job of an ambassador? Well, to to be in places that are hostile and to negotiate so that people can find and get to heaven from there.
1: Mm. I, I just I love that vision of uh, you know where where the, our credibility actually goes up. Uh, when we respond in love instead of argumentation, instead of opposition, instead of combativeness, and uh, and, and being credible disciples—that's the—that's the title of the message that we're going to hear today. Is that right?
2: Yes. Uh, there are a number of places in Scripture where it talks about being credible disciples, but I want to put the focus correct. It is true. I want people to believe I really am a follower of Christ. Sometimes when we meet hostility, they're just checking to see if we really do take delight in the Lord. Right. And when we answer back, they know we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't always expect us to have the super answer to something. But are we passionately committed to the gospel and to Jesus? Yes. Uh, But when we uh, go out and begin to minister and begin to share, the way we love people, even our enemies, brings credibility to Christ. I mean, Christ believes that we're his disciples. Mm. And then we're also credible to others as he blesses us in that regard. And that's what this message is about, is about loving one another. There are 52 places in the New Testament where it says love one another uh, by praying for each other, love one another by caring for each other, love one another. I think this is a big, this is a big deal to Jesus.
1: Yeah, that, that's a good understatement right there. And interestingly that it's, uh, you know, uh, becoming a credible disciple, not a credentialed disciple. It's not about, uh, uh, degrees behind your name and it's not about, uh, uh, winning intellectual argument points, but about, uh, uh at core about love. Yes. Uh, Really a message of love. And coming from John 13, I know um, I'm looking forward to hearing this message today and wondering, uh, Dr. Durst, could you just uh, offer a word of prayer for us as we uh, prepare our hearts to hear the message?
2: Lord, um, we're your hands, we're your feet, we're your heart now. Mm. May we be effective in seeing and recognizing people who are wanting to be invisible uh, and detached from us and to reach out to them. Yes, Uh, with words, with spontaneous acts of kindness that will disarm them, Lord, and create opportunities to share a word of the cross, a word of the gospel. May you have victory in our time in this place. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Dr. Durst. Thanks for joining us in studio for the Ministry of the Week interviews. Again, folks, if you missed any of those, really encourage you to go over to kfax.com, look under the Ministry tab, and you'll find the Ministry of the Week uh, archives there, the podcast. And uh, today's message also will appear there if uh, you want to share it with some friends and share the good news that uh, while Golden Gate uh, Baptist Theological Seminary uh, is uh, changing its name, it's not changing its mission and purpose. It's going to become... Gateway Seminary, the headquarters is moving to Ontario in Southern California, but uh, but thankfully, uh, under Dr. Durst's direction, there will be a barrier campus right here in Fremont, and we are so excited, Dr. Durst, to see once what the Lord brings from this great transition coming up.
2: I am as well. I I just love going down Mission Boulevard, looking at those workers who we are working on Saturday last week. Yeah, uh, and it's it's changing every. Every week and hearing people come uh, this week, uh, a minister from Oakland and his sister, who is a minister in San Leandro, came and said, we want to start this fall and we'll start in Mill Valley and we will go with you to Fremont.
1: Amen. Wow. How exciting. <laughs> That's great stuff. If you want to find out more, we want to encourage people to get in touch with the seminary at 888-442-8700. Again, 888 442 Zero zero. And now, as uh, we go into the message portion of today's ministry of the week, we want to encourage you to not just get in touch with the seminary, but to be in prayer for all those who are going to be part of this big transition coming up. Now, here is Dr. Rick Durst delivering a message based on John 13 on being credible disciples. Thank you.
2: Thank you everybody for that gracious welcome. Uh, I was just thinking that in nine, my first time on this stage was 1977. Was anybody not born, you know, by the, you know, yeah, lots of you. All right. So I, I go way back. I was actually a college student then. I didn't know I would be here uh, to go to seminary and uh, end up on faculty. Very, very grateful for that. For those of you who have been in chapel these last uh, couple of months, It seems to me that God has been here because He also wants to remember with us what He's been here with us for all these years. And uh, I think uh, David and the worship team have really made me sense that and that that is happening here together. Now, just a little information. A couple of minutes into what I'm going to share with you, you're going to need your sheet. And so if you have a yellow sheet, would you hold it up? All right, that's where the yellows are. If you have a blue sheet, would you hold it up? Great. Salmon. Okay, the salmon are swimming over here. And green. Great. All right. We'll, we will read this uh, together. Uh, and the way it's going to happen is whatever colors up next, according to this schedule, you'll stand up and you'll read it loud and proud. Uh, as we we study and experience the Word together. Then towards the end of what I'm going to do, uh, we're going to use Psalm 136, only we're going to write some additional verses together in prayer. Uh, So that's sort of where I'm headed. Now, if you would like to uh, open uh, your Bible to um, John chapter 13, we'll get started. A.W. Tozer once said, if you're going to have an invitation in church, you should have it at the beginning and not at the end. Because when we come to hear God speak, shouldn't we already be prepared? Whatever it is that you say to us, Lord, we say yes. Yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. So I'm going to encourage you right now to just say yes, Lord. Whatever you say, not what I say, but what the Lord says to you. You will hear and you will obey. Um, The title is, Love One Another, Being Credible Disciples. Maybe even incredible disciples, but being credible disciples. Well, credible to who? Credible to Jesus. I'd rather be a, a believable follower of Christ to Jesus than to anybody else. And to do that, I need to figure out what are the first things in his mind and put those first things first. And I think one of those things is... Loving one another. Loving one another. Um, I have a friend, she says that you don't even have Christian community until there's someone in your community you don't like. That's when you practice loving one another. Jesus said it this way a new commandment I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's a non-negotiable with Jesus. If I can get this right, I don't need to worry about the rest. But if I can get this right, nothing else counts. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. This is the mark that he wants on your life and mine, loving one another. If you have love for one another. Now, you know as well as I do that um, evangelical Christianity is increasingly, especially in the U.S., um, living and ministering in an increasingly hostile environment. Just to get to this campus, we have to go by all these red signs that say, no Branson. Now, what they really mean is no Golden Gate, don't they? I mean, that's how I read it. Um, And there's, there's hostility there. I think we live in an age of increasing incivility. But there are certain people... Certain groups that it's really open season and evangelicals seem to be that way. So if you and I are going to minister, we have to look into the face of the hostile and give them love right back. And that's not going to be easy. Now, what's changed in America? There's a a monster book that came out in 2007 called The Secular Age. It takes about an age to read this book. It's 800 pages and they're not easy and there are no pictures But Charles Taylor is a world-class Christian philosopher. You know, he had whatever the the high chair of philosophy is at Oxford, that's the chair he sat in. And in this book, he says, what has happened? In 1500, you know, 500 years ago, in the West, it seemed like there was no way not to be a believer. But now, 500 years later, in the year 2000, Many people are saying and thinking, "How can you possibly be a believer at all? How can that have changed?" Now, if you read the cliff notes, this book is really about how to be a believer in a secular age. Uh, so it's worth wading through and looking through, as we love one another and being credible disciples. Now, this next picture is a Facebook picture uh, of the disciples with Jesus. If you love one another, you're going to eat together. I've noticed on the Facebook uh, postings of people from Golden Gate, there are more postings of people eating together than I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, I would like to come back and go through this again and get some postings of eating together. If we eat together, we we love together. Uh, Kaiser uh, Permanente did a study about how the cultures are shaped at each of their hospitals. And they all came to the same conclusion. At every single hospital, the culture moves around food. Um, Now, in uh, 2008, a book came out called Heroes and Cowards. It's by two UCLA professors, research professors, and they sort of searched through 41,000 records of Union soldiers from the Civil War, you know, on the northern side, And what they were looking for is clues as to why one-tenth, one out of every ten soldiers, deserted. And what made some stay and be heroes and others desert. They even searched the prison records. Because the South offered release from prison as a prisoner of war if you would join the Confederate side. And so many deserted to that. One out of ten were deserters, and they came to this conclusion. And when I saw what one of the pieces in their conclusion, I realized they're almost quoting Jesus from Matthew 18, uh, verses 19 and 20. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst. And what he discovered was any loner soldier, somebody who was in a regiment and they really didn't have any friends, they hadn't, uh, nobody was loving on them, they weren't loving on them. That person was more susceptible to desertion than others. And in prison, if you could connect with two or three, and there's something magical about the first two or three friends in the prison, you were much more likely to survive and not take the cheap way out uh, and desert to the other side. Uh, there's something about you and I, loving one another it doesn't matter you don't have, it's not about numbers it's about loving the ones that you're with and making sure that you're doing that now why why is this so important in John chapter 17 verse 20 uh, it's it's the high theology section of the gospel of John and Jesus says as the father and I are one i you know Jesus is praying father as you and I are one i want them to be one You know, the oneness that is experienced in the triune God is our model for living. And though the Father, Son, and Spirit are distinguishable, they'll never be divided. And when we love one another, we should be distinct but indivisible. Loving one another. Because God is this way, he wants us to be this way also. Well, how? Well, in John chapter 13, when Jesus gives the new commandment, he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And I love this painting. You can't see it very well, but Peter is not happy. You know, there, there is a way to stick your... You know, he's watching, but he, I, I imagine he's disgruntled. We know that he said, not my feet. Well, okay, if you've got to do my feet, do my hair. And Jesus said, come on. The word has already made you clean. you just got dirty feet. We're about to eat. I don't want you to have... Love one another as I have loved you means foot washing. Now, in some Baptist seminaries, we would teach you how to wash feet. Um, maybe we should do that here. But learning how to meet basic needs of people when you see them is really loving one another. Um, now, let's, let's expand this bigger. Uh, we're going to do this scripture reading together. And... Uh, there's two pieces I want you to think about. First piece. As we read through these short verses, these are 52 one another passages from the New Testament. My sense is the Holy Spirit is going to nudge you, is going to poke you on one of them. Remember the poke because it'll come back in just a bit. Alright? So now, yellow, you're first. Where are you? Stand up, please. Loud and proud. And as soon as they get done, you blues, jump up and read yours. And then you salmons, jump up like you're going upstream. And green, you jump up too, all right? And then we're going to go back around, okay? So you've got to understand how to do it. Yellows, you're up. Go. Offer hospitality to one another. Greet one another. Peace of love. Have fellowship with one another. Love one another. Lay down your lives for one another. one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. May the Lord add his blessing to his word as we do it. Now, it's impossible to say, how do we love one another? You just read 52 ways on how to love each other. Um, you know, uh, the Spirit taught Peter a way to love another, when he met, took him to meet Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit came on Cornelius, and Cornelius was gloriously saved and and, and declared the majesty of Christ, and Peter says, I have to welcome you, because the Holy Spirit has come upon you, just as he came upon us. And recognizing that the Holy Spirit is in the lives of people who are not in your group, And welcoming them in to participate and to speak and bring their gifts, that is loving one another. That's the kind of love God is looking for in our day, in our age, um, as we love one another. Now, we've expanded it with these 52. Let's do it another way. Uh, In concentric circles of concern, which I know some of you had as a text uh, in your evangelism class, it says, we, we really need to get a bigger one another. You realize, uh, my wife desperately wants us to get a great big porch on the front yard. Now, I've been thinking about this. How big should it be? And when I think about the people I want to come over and sit on my porch, it's going to need to hold about a billion people. Um This book, Concentric Circles of Concern, says each person in this room is an incredibly influential person. God has put you right in the center of these concentric circles. Every person in this room influences at least 250 people, and this is a way of kind of sorting them out. And listening to the Holy Spirit as he brings you to love on certain people in his name, because he's at work in their lives, and he wants you and I to be his hands, his feet, his lips. So get a bigger another. Now, I think there needs to be another circle. (coughs) Enemies. I have a lozenge, but I'm losing my voice. Um, So, it doesn't hurt. And it'll fix itself in just a minute. But I'm going to sound really funny for just a minute. I think in this day and this age, as the world... Finds ways to shift us to the margin. And it's the people in the margins who can be abused and be treated with hostility without responsibility. And we're going to look back into the center and we're going to see, I've got enemies. Thank you. Great, perfect. Yeah, hi. You have loved me. Thank you. Uh, I believe the Lord wants us to love our enemies joyfully. If anything, it will confuse and surprise them. We are not going to harm them. We are going to love them and pray for them. All right. When we love... There are multiple results. Let me just go through these very quickly. If you want to go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, uh, John has kind of listed those for us. Uh, 1 John 3, 17. First off, needs get met. If we see our brother in need and don't do anything, how can we say that's love? Not love for God and not love for our brothers. Ten years ago, our worship pastor, 47 years of age, internationally known, had a stroke. And lost a lot of his speech, not able to play the keyboard anymore. He's only got one hand that's you know fully functional, even to this day. And our church, in our small groups, began to minister to, to him and his family. And uh, we were able to gather about $250,000 to help the family in that transition. Well, his sister flew out from Houston, Texas... And was there with us and we were just talking about things and all of a sudden she turns to her husband and she said, we don't have a small group like this. We have to get a small group like this. Um, it, it's almost as if it was like getting a super insurance policy. When you have people that love like this, they will stick through you and find resources and I'll never forget those words. We have got to get in a group like this that will love us through thick and thin, for better or for worse. Needs are met. Assurance of salvation, down in verse 19. This is how we know we belong to the truth. When you and I love one another, we're not only credible to Jesus, we are credible to ourselves. And that helps us have an assurance of our salvation. It's working. It's taking. It's happening. It's happening. Verse 19, uh, this is how we know we belong to the truth. Uh, Loving one another. Verse 21 and 22, boldness in prayer. If our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and can receive whatever we ask from Him. Bold praying turns God on. I think you and I might... Irritate or diminish him when we don't pray boldly. And the reason we don't pray boldly is because we haven't loved boldly. But when we boldly love, stuff comes out of our mouth when we're talking to God that surprises even us because of that confidence that we have. And maybe the best of all is in verse 23, the one who keeps his commands, and remember this new command, the one who keeps his commands remains in Him, and we know this is from the Spirit. We stick with Jesus. With you know, you can see the president's heart in all that he's put us through. <laughs> and I think he probably keeps doing a head count to see if we've lost anybody. Um, and you know, God's led. You know, some to Mexico, some to other jobs, and and that kind of thing. What we really don't want to lose is anybody walking with the Lord. Um, This is not easy. It's very difficult, and it's stressful. And many of you have this plus other stuff. There have been deaths. There have been marriages. There have been births. All of those are stressful events. Even though it's a good stress, it's still a stressful event. We need to stick to Jesus. And that happens as we love one another. Jesus becomes very sticky to us. He will not let us go. Number five. I only got two more. I think if I numbered it right. Yeah, there we go. Um, And maybe this is the best one of all. God is made visible to others. I was at a conference in the uh, East Coast, Washington D.C., and the ethics professor at a Wesleyan Seminary came to me, and she wanted to ask me something about how I um, interpreted the Bible. And I asked her to tell me a little bit about herself so I could kind of figure out where she's coming from. And she had come to Christ in a, uh, a small church in Illinois because of the youth group. She said they were a little lame and they, you know, weren't all that knowledgeable about the Scripture. But I'd never been in a place where people loved each other like that. And I couldn't stay away. Um, Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. No one has ever seen God. Now, why would he say that? No one has ever seen God. Well, partly because Christ makes God known. And also in the context, when we love one another... We make God visible to others. Francis Schaeffer, he said that when we do this, people come to the conclusion that Jesus is risen from the dead. So it's how we treat one another and love one another that gives us all credibility. Uh, In in 2000, Robert Putnam wrote a a wonderful book. Part of it's wonderful, I think, because uh, the title, Bowling Alone. Bowling alone. Now, if you've ever bowled alone, you know that probably on the you know other part of the alley is a league. And they're bowling together. But I'm bowling alone. And what he's talking about is the disintegration of community. Where people do stuff together and have fun together. A communitas, uh, he would call it. Um, and I, I got to thinking about when we went... To the planning commission in Marin, and asked to amend our our plan, and you know how there's always power structures in the way the furniture's work, and you know the planning commissioners they're way up higher than you, and you're you know you're looking up at them, and they're looking down at you, and um, they gave us no gracious response. Now. Theologically, I would say this. God did not put grace and favor in their hearts towards us because he had a master plan that he chose to put in place for us. Sociologically, looking at that and assessing it, I would say we had no social capital with those guys. As far as we were concerned, we were bankrupt. In terms of social influence on them. Okay. Now, we're about to move to two different places. Fremont and Ontario. I am thinking it's time for the seminary to not bowl alone anymore. That we need to invest and love our communities. I'm not you know churches, yes, but we need to go beyond that and invest in the community. So that if someone speaks up against the seminary again, we don't have to answer it. Our neighbors will answer. You know, the businesses around us will answer it. The schools will answer it because we're their friends and they know us by name and we know them by name. So I think that's one of my conclusions about loving one another. The world is becoming a scary place. Maybe I should say scarier place. And it's easy for believers to be intimidated into silence. But you know what? Perfect love casts out fear. The Lord did not save us that we would walk in fear, but in power and love and a sound mind. Chapter 4, verse 17 says, Love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Perfect love drives out fear. We love because he first loved us. Now, I'm timing this pretty good. There is a book by Henry Nouwen called In Jesus' Name. Do you know it? At the end of the book is this wonderful story. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest who taught at Harvard, taught spiritual formation at Harvard. Who'd have thought? And was very effective there, but in the midst of all the success in book writing, I think he wrote 40 books He felt called to go to Canada and work at Labrie, a center for mentally challenged, developmentally challenged men. And so he worked with these men. Now, he still was getting invitations to go speak all over, really, the world, and he would accept them. Well, one time he took one of those men with him, and another one said, well, could you take me the next time? His name was Bill. Bill said, "Uh, would you take me with you? And, And... Henry Nowlin said, "Yes, I'll take you with me. Oh, we'll do it together. Yes, we'll do it together." Well, Henry was thinking, "What we'll do together is travel together." What Bill was thinking, "What we'll do together is speak together." <laughs> so, Nowlin gets there with Bill. They get all settled in, and comes time to you know read his address, and he comes up with his papers and and starts reading, and then it, he he sees Bill get up and go stand right behind him. And he finishes reading a page and he sets it over here and Bill reaches around and grabs it and takes it and turns it over and puts it on the desk. And sometimes he made a few comments. And finally, you know, it was a little disturbing at first, but somehow he just made things normal. (laughs) Certainly not so formal. And Henry Nellon wrapped up his address and, you know, gathered up his papers and said, Bill, it's time for us to go. And Bill said, well, I want to say something. So Bill comes up and he said, I want to thank you so much for being so friendly to us. This has been very enjoyable for me. And there was instantaneous applause. On the plane home, Henry Nowlin thought about how many times he had given addresses all over the world, all over the U.S. And he wondered if anybody who had heard his address remembered anything about them. But this time, he really believed. It wasn't just memorable, it was unforgettable. Because we did it together. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to break down. We need to do it together. Do it together. To love like that. Well, there's something I want us to do together. Psalm 136. You don't need it. I've got it right here. I've got the hard part. You have the easy part. Um, (laughs) This is called the great halal. You know, it's the great hallelujah. Now, there's 150 Psalms, but this is called the great hallelujah. And if you take some time, not now, but reflect on what's going on in this, what this meant to the Hebrew worshipers. For us... It repeats the same line 26 times, so it can be a little tedious. Uh, In the New American Standard Version, that verse is, For his loving kindness is everlasting. In the Hebrew, it's three words, but in English, it's four words. And one of them is kind of a compound word. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Can you say that with me? For his loving kindness is everlasting. For his loving kindness is everlasting. So I'm going to read a couple of lines, and then I want to tell you something that happened to me in Mexico City. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights, For his mind, this is the sun to rule by day, For his mind, this is the moon and stars to rule by night. Mind, when I was in Mexico City, I was teaching a course, the theology of worship. Dr. Martin has recruited several of us faculty to go down there. It was an awesome experience. But I was leading him through this and all of a sudden I realized... It doesn't need to end at verse 26. We could make up our own psalms. We could offer up praise and prayer and then echo back for His everlasting... I mean, His loving kindness is everlasting. So I'd like us to do that. i warned some of you, and so you're maybe ready. Um, just stand up and give a sentence of praise... Or a sentence of prayer. And let us respond with, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Do you see what I'm asking? Okay. Uh, go to this last slide for just a second. That is the last slide. Go to the one before that. There we go. Do you remember this picture? Do you remember this hero desperately wanted a BB gun for Christmas? He waited and waited to get up to ask Santa, even though he's too big to get on Santa's lap. And he chokes. He couldn't get it out. He forgot. He couldn't speak about the BB gun. And so they start to shove him down the ladder, or the slide right there. All right. I don't want you to let this moment slide away. If God is prompting you with a praise, give it so we can respond. If it's a prayer, take a risk. What do you really want to pray about? so that we can pray with you.
1: And that's all the time that we have for today's Ministry of the Week Sunday message. We're so glad that you could join us today as we had opportunity to highlight all this past week uh, the ministry of Golden Gate Theological Seminary, which is soon to become, in about 40 days, uh, become Gateway Seminary. And we had Dr. Rick Durst in studio with us both for the Ministry of the Week interviews as well as today's message. The message you just heard was based on John 13, on being credible disciples, and that was delivered to the seminary students in their chapel. We want to encourage you, if, you, uh, if this is news to you, maybe you've been around the Bay Area for a while, you, if you have, you know certainly about the work, the great work being done at Golden Gate Seminary. And uh, if you would like to find out more about their upcoming name change and location change, you can get in touch with them. Uh, call the school at 888-442-8700. That's 888-442-8700 we want to encourage you to find out about uh, online courses there you can find out about the uh, m- more about the upcoming change and perhaps uh, your pastor has been thinking about pursuing a, a further degree uh, maybe you uh, your church is interested in getting engaged in church planting golden gate is one of those seminaries that has uh, got experts ready to answer your questions and ready to help and we want to really encourage you, if, uh, uh, if you need to find out more information about it to, or, or to find out about enrollment yourself, uh, this fall's classes are going to be held up in Mill Valley still. But uh, coming in uh, January of uh, 2017, those classes are going to be moved over to the Fremont campus, which is being built right now as we speak. So, uh, folks, as we do each week, we sign off today with a reminder that uh, the Ministry of the Week exists to shine a spotlight on what churches and ministries are doing here in the Bay Area, what God is up to in the neighborhoods around you. If you'd like to nominate your church or ministry to become a, a, a part of the ministry of the week, you can get in touch with me, David Naderhood. Uh, find my information and contact information over at our website, kfax.com. Please remember that uh, we highlight different ministries and churches here on our station because we believe that God's intention is to get you engaged and growing in a local church, that our station exists never to replace the local church, but instead to help people get connected, growing in their faith, and serving the Lord in a place uh, of, of ministry. So we want to encourage you to tune in tomorrow at 7.35 or again at 10.35 p.m. for a new Ministry of the Week. And until then, we hope that you enjoy the rest of your Sunday afternoon. May God's grace, mercy, and peace be yours.